And congregation, you can open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. Now, as I go through the Old Testament, especially Genesis stories, I really enjoy Genesis. Why do I enjoy Genesis? Because there's a lot of real people in Genesis. There's a lot of people in there that fall back into patterns of sin. There's a lot of people that um, are arrogant and God redeems them. There's a lot of people that um, have a structure and they destroy that structure and God rebuilds it back up in his way. Um, and that would be a little bit walking into Exodus. I was thinking Moses there, but uh, there's, there's so many neat things that go in there and you look at Adam and Eve and how they were perfect and they fall away from God in imperfection. They choose their own will. They choose their own way. And it just allows me to rest that when I fall away, he is going to restore me as well. And so I'm excited about that um, because I'm good at falling and the Lord helps me back, get back up and he can help you get back up this morning too. Amen? Amen. So Genesis chapter 20 is one of those stories where we see Abraham fall into a pattern that he has done before. And I titled this message, Stay Ready. Jesus is coming back sooner than ever. How will he, he find the servants of his house? We should stay ready so that we don't need to get ready. Um, one of my friends at Community Bible Study said that. We need to stay ready so we don't need to get ready. I thought that was a good thing when it comes to spiritual, our spiritual walk. It is not the easiest thing to do in the world, but when the Lord comes back, we want to be ready to walk with him. So we're in Genesis chapter 20. We're going to read the first 10 verses. And I have a two-point sermon. That doesn't mean it's necessarily a short sermon, but it has the potential to be a short sermon this morning. We'll find out. I figure with the, whenever it's potluck Sunday, they open the doors up and they turn the fan on, so I have to have a short... They don't really do that. I'm just teasing. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. It says, Abraham moved south into the Gev and lived for a while be between Kadesh and Shur, and then he moved to, on to Gerar while living there as a foreigner. Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. So King Abimelech of Geshur sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. But that night God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you are a dead man for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Doesn't, didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you are innocent. That is why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband, and he will pray for you. He is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you do not return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your family will die. Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called all his, his servants together. While he told, when he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. 
What have you done to us, he demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do a thing that you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? So the next section I titled, here we go again. Now you have seven lines on your bulletin if you want to fill them in. They are on the screen there for you. So you can do that um, if you would like. If not, um, then you, don't have to, you can just listen. So we've seen this story before in Genesis chapter 12. That was with the Pharaoh. He says, she is my sister. Now, Abraham is not lying. She is her sister, but he is not being 100% true. Therefore, he's being deceptive. Therefore, he is lying. Okay? So we're like, well, it wasn't a lie. Well, yeah, you're right, but you use the truth to deceive. And so, therefore, it is a lie. Okay? And, and yet, he, he does say that he is his sister, but when it says that Abimelech, King Abimelech, comes to take his sister from him, he doesn't come with, um, hey, I'm coming to get your sister. It's like he sends a troop to come get his sister. So there wasn't really much saying no there. However, um, so that, that I would give in Abraham's defense, but we see the Lord comes with a vengeance. And if the Lord's going to come with a vengeance with a dr and the dream at night, then can't he come with a vengeance at the very beginning and ward those off? We know he can. We know he can. And so that's where I fault Abraham. He should have learned from the first time, say, she is my wife. Okay. So the Lord comes with a vengeance, and he says to Abimelech, you are a dead man. Now, this is where I can see that um, Abimelech was a little bit in uh, the fault and how he probably took Sarah away from Abraham. I don't think this is language that you would use for an innocent man. I think this is language you would use for a man that needs to be redeemed and needs a wake-up call. And the only way he's going to get that wake-up call is if Abraham protects him because the Lord's about done with him. Okay? And so the Lord protects Abraham, the Lord protects Abimelech, and the Lord protects Abraham in this situation. One, Sarah doesn't get raped. She doesn't have sex outside of her marriage. Abimelech and his people don't die. When God gives the warning, he is not just warning Abimelech that you're going to die tonight. He's saying your whole household, your whole people will be wiped out if you mess with this woman. Can you see how he does this? He always involves Sarah in this story, the story of the lineage of, of the Jewish people, right? He always brings Sarah in, and every time we see Sarah in the story, especially a woman in general, we see redemption. And God is redeeming Abimelech through his prophet Abraham. And so Abraham's reputation is not tainted, and he can declare that God is an all-powerful God. Because that's one thing that Abraham does well. I didn't do this. It was God. He's pretty much amazing. I am not. I was scared. Abraham was in a tight spot, so he fell back in an old pattern. And 
it worked before, it could work again, and it does. However, God is going to defend you for his reputation. Okay? God will defend you for his reputation if he sees so fit. Can't he do that right up front? And I believe he can. I believe he can. I think you can find stories where he does that. You think of Shadrach and Benny, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in uh, the book of Daniel. They say, I'm not going to bow down before you, king. You can throw us in the fire. If, if God chooses to defend us, he will do so. If he doesn't, we're still going to defend his name because we're not going to bow down before you. And God shows up in a big way. Right? There's other examples than that too, but those are the ones I can think of right off the top of my head. So Abimelech, knowing that he's in a tight spot, decides to blame Abraham for his faults, right? And you think about this, Sarah is like 90 years old almost, right? Why would you want her for your wife? You ever thought about that? Why would you want a 90-year-old woman for your wife? And here is the thing. Um, she has lived a long time. You want your family to live a long time in an age that they don't live for very long. Um, that longevity is something that you want in your family line. And so if I could have a son that could have, that at my, toward my end of my life, that could live as long as she, then I would have an heir that would be on the throne for a long time. And so that is the attractive value that we have in Sarah. She is a rarity and a blessing from the Lord that God has set aside for himself. And um, it perhaps could be for a treaty to be with Abraham too. So he could already see maybe that God was with Abraham. If he doesn't, he does soon, right? And um, that we're going to have a treaty. So that, that could be one. He passed the responsibility, and then that is what the world does. You'll see this very often. God calls us not to do that, and he calls us to take responsibility and take ownership of our problems, in a sense, take ownership of our own sins. And how are we going to respond when we can't win either way? If we go this way, it's a losing situation. We could die. If we go this way, I could lose my wife. There's no win-win here. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm a little in fear of this. How are we going to do? Are we, in other words, are we willing to stay ready? So we're, we will be ready when the situation comes. So here are seven things that we can do that are found in 1 John chapter 1 through um, chapter 2, verse 6 that we study this week in community Bible study that will help us to stay ready. Number one is remember the past. We need to remember the past. Remember the times of joy. It says in uh, 1 John, it says, we, pro we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. We are writing these things so that you may be Fully, you may fully share our joy. So we want to find, remember the things that the Lord has carried us through in our lifetime. Yes, we were in a tight spot. Yes, we've had some tragedy in our, in our lives, but God has delivered us and redeemed us from those tragedies this way and this way and this way. We also want to remember how the Lord has defended us or our 
our family in the past. We remember what he's done to the Jewish nation and how he's watched over them. We remember how God redeemed us from the Pharaoh, Abraham, and how he can continue to do that. What has God done in your past that reminds you to be faithful? What's something that he has done, how he's worked through that? Does he get the joy along with the pain, or do you just give God the pain and then give him the blame for that? Right? That's what the world does. They blame God. They get angry at God for the pain, but they forget to remember that God also gives the joy in life and how what we choose to focus on gets us uh, down the road a certain way. Number two, we pursue righteous living together. God is in the light. Then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin or cleanses from all sin. So we have the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, right? There has to be a blood sacrifice. There has to be something that's been given to cleanse us from sin. There has to be a payment there. And Jesus Christ died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice to be that blood sacrifice so that we don't have to sacrifice lamb, sheep, goats, cattle anymore for him. Okay? We have fellowship with each other. I think that's interesting that we... We, they stick that in there in that sentence in First John. Fellowship with each other is just as important as the blood of Jesus. The, the church, God designed the church, God set up the church, and it's there as one of his, you can almost say it's one of his sacraments, something that we need to do on a regular basis. Why? Jesus told us to. That's good enough for me. But you think about it this way as well. What happens when you don't go to church? How does life go for you then? It might go smooth for a time, but then as you kind of get to the floor, you don't have any place else to go. When I get to the floor, I can go to my brothers and sisters and say, man, I'm in a tight spot. Can you pray for me? Can you help lift me up? Or I can pass my burdens onto them and they pray for me as well. And, and I pray for them. That's important. That's why we have fellowship with the believers. That's an important reason to fellowship. Dare I say, that is more important. This is it's a shaky statement I'm going to make here, okay? It's more important than certain pandemics. I'll say it that way, right? We need to be in fellowship with believers, but if we're sick, we need to stay home, right? Regardless. I, I, I agree with you. It probably isn't. The way I said it is fellowship is important, right? What did we see when we all had to stay in our homes? It's easier, one, I think it's easier to sin. Two, it's easier to um, break the fellowship. It's easier to get stuck in depression. It's easier to get stuck in my self woes. But when we come together, we have people that are praying. I think that was the biggest joy that we have was the, the food pantry. And we had to meet together. It was, it was amazing. And it really pulled uh, that group together. And it shows me that in spite of things going on in this world, 
God is going to protect his church. God is going to watch over. And that is why um, that is more important. Because God is in control. He's going to watch over. He's going to be. Now, did we have loss in that? Yes, we did. But God is in that too. We have a, a set number of days. Number three, we need to be humble. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. You're not even fooling your neighbor. You're not even fooling a non-believer. They know you're a sinner, all right? They're, you're fooling yourselves and not living in the truth. That's 1 John 1, 8. So we need to take a true assessment of ourselves. Always assume that you're a sinner. Then you won't have to worry about that. You always ask forgiveness. I don't know what I'm asking for forgiveness, Lord, but I know I did something. Because if I don't have that attitude, I can ask for forgiveness for my arrogant pride, which is what I, right after college, I was like, I pretty much arrived. Man, I'm so stupid. That was probably, that was probably high school. I kind of figured out in, in college that I had not arrived. And uh, look what I've Look what I can offer to you. That was my attitude when I walked into church. Look, here I am. No, that's ridiculous and just wrong. So take a true assessment of yourself. Scripture says, I am a sinner, and I need to look at where I can root out sin. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. That's um, in chapter 2, verse 2. And our Atonement of sin comes from God's act of righteousness, not ours. Jesus' act of dying on the cross is what allows us to be free from our sins. There's nothing that I can do. I can't go um, feed people at the food pantry and say, well, God, put that on my checkboard because I'm earning extra credit. No, I surrender to Jesus, and then in my heart, there's a welling up of goodness that I want to go serve him. Okay? There's a very, very important distinction between those two, right? I serve because of grace. I surrender to his grace, and then I have a welling up in my heart to serve. That is correct. To say, I'm going to go serve so I can earn God's grace. That's what we would call works because I'm working for um, eternity in heaven. You can't do that. It is not I, but Christ in me, right? We just sang about it this morning. So if I surrender at the get-go, let me get this straight, Pastor. If I surrender at the get-go, I would be going to number four, right? Yeah, you would. Seek forgiveness, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in New Living, it says all wickedness, a.k.a. sin. Okay? Big sins, little sins, in-between sins. That sounds like it could be a Dr. Seuss book right there. Craig, you work on that one. <laughs> he could do it. He offered it. We must be the ones to move forward, right? It's in the past. Christ dying on the cross is in the past. We discover it through his word. We find out that he has done this for us. He has risen and defeated death. 
He has the power over sin and death. We have to choose to accept it. We surrender our will to him, which is hard, right? To surrender your will, that means it's when I die, I have no control of where I go. Aha, but I do. But I do. I surrender to God's will, then I choose to go to heaven. Well, so I can be a servant all my life? Well, kind of. But a servant in a blessed place, I can handle that. Why? Because I've learned to do it here on this earth. And when I walk as Jesus walked, I find out that it goes well with me and I actually have a better life choosing to serve. Whoa. So when I choose to serve and I choose for forgiveness, I go to number five, I need to listen and obey. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Two, chapter 2, verse 3. The ball's in our court. How are you going to live? How, are we, how, how willing are we to submit to his plans for us? Who is a better defender of your life, of your faith, of how you live? Is it me or is it Jesus? If I say it's me that I'm living in self-righteousness. I can use my own righteousness to get to heaven. Well, sin blocks that, and I can't defeat sin, so that heaven's going to look a little like hell, <laughs> right? But if I surrender and say, you know what? I've tried. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to redeem this sin, this stench on my life, and I can't do it. Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to love me. And he will come in and do just that. Number six, obedience expresses the love of God. Obey, obey God's word truly shows how completely they love him. That's two verses five. What a testimony. Just think if we let people know why we are obedient. I think that's one reason that the church struggles today. We take our own credit for our own goodness. We steal God's praise in that way. That is incorrect. We are supposed to give God the praise. Phil, why do you have such a good, good garden? Well, I work hard at it. No, it's the Lord allows me to have this blessing, and I put in the hard work. Okay? They're, those are two different answers, aren't they? Amen. I, you know one thing that I've given to the Lord that's a little bit different than that? I played softball for quite a few years, and God said, let me have that. Let me have that. And I'm like, like never to play again? No, that's not what I mean. When you hit the run, home run, are you hitting it for you, or are you hitting it for me? When you make that amazing catch, is it your amazing catch, or is it God's amazing catch? And I gave that to the Lord. By the way, that game, I did not. I went 0 for 4, and I dropped about four balls that game, just so you know. Um, I've only played that game and the, the first game that Brandy came and watched me play were the two worst games I've ever played in my life of softball, um, both on me. But uh, when I gave it up to the Lord, that season was one that I'll remember because 
He got the glory. I gave him the praise. And when people said, good job, Shane, I said, I couldn't do it without the Lord. You know, I've really given this game to the Lord because it's his to have. I do the same thing with my kids. I do the same thing with my wife and with my church. And when I don't, you can tell, I think. So it's a daily thing that we have to keep giving back. Obedience. Expressing that love for God. Number seven. How can I live more like Jesus? This is a verse I love. First John 2, 6. You can write it down. It is um, one you should memorize. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Okay? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's how I remember it. Put some syncopation to it. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Okay? So it asks the question, what would Jesus do? How would he live? How would he work through the situation? And how can I give him the praise instead of taking it for my own? We should stay ready so we don't need to get ready. Jesus was always prepared for an answer. He was always prepared to bring that miracle. He was always prepared to do something wonderful or to pray, to listen, to find his quiet place, to seek the Lord. All those are important. Jesus is coming back sooner than ever. How will he find his servants of his household? We should stay ready so we don't need to get ready. All right, let's finish this off. Genesis chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Abraham replied, I thought this was a godless place, and they, will, they want my wife, and they would kill me to get her. And she really is my sister, for we both had the same father, but different mothers, and I married her. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, Don't do me a favor. Wherever you go, tell the people that I am your brother. Then Abimelech took some of his sheep and his goats and cattle and male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. He also returned his wife Sarah to him. And then Abimelech said, Look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live. And he said to Sarah, Look, I'm giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong you may have, I may have done to you. This will settle any claim against me, and your reputation is cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female servants so they, they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. Okay. Now, this is an interesting story in itself because um, we are not done with Abimelech. We'll, we'll hit him in two more chapters again one more time um, where they have a problem with a well. But Abimelech notices that God is blessing Abraham. The Lord defends his people. Does he not? The Lord defends his people. What's one of the biggest shackles to our faith one of the biggest shackles to our faith it's fear 
It's in their fight or flight nature. Fear is good. Sometimes we need to run away. There's times to run. But when fight or flight creeps into our faith walk, the Lord is taking us into the unknown and we get scared and we get petrified, we get froze up. Fear, in that sense, is a liar. Abraham starts looking around and he sees that he's in a tight spot once again and he tells his wife, remember, you're my sister. And he's not lying, but he's, is he walking in faith and trusting the Lord? No, because if he would have been up front with Abimelech, God would have protected him from the get-go. So when Abimelech takes Sarah, Abraham is probably like, well, see, Lord, here we go again. And that would have, they would have killed me. And we, like Abraham, if we're walking in God's plan and not ours, first, we got to remember that God will protect us as well. Second, if we die, wouldn't it be better to die in obedience to the Lord? I think it would. There was quite a few martyrs in the early church that had to. If that's what God calls us to do, that's what he's called us to do. It's our time. He has said it, not us. Abraham was passionately following the Lord, going where God told him, and then he starts looking around at his circumstances and says, I'm in a tight spot. Have you ever been there? You walk along with the Lord and you find you're in a tight spot, or maybe you are not walking with the Lord and you find you're in a tight spot. Misguided passion can get us into a lot of trouble. It really can. It can raise our anger to where it becomes uncontrollable. Right? It can destroy marriages. It can destroy relationships. It can um, get us in a place where we need to watch out. It can also, misguided passion leads us down the road of power, sex, and money. Right? That's what we tend to get passionate about as human beings. Power, sex, and money. But praise God, passion can be redeemed and pointed back to the Lord. But when we have, we have to be willing to be the bad guy of the story. We need to fall on our sword. I was walking away from the Lord. I was pursuing sex, power, and money. Or maybe it's one, maybe it's all, maybe it's, you know. And then Jesus got a hold of my life. And I'm a changed man because of Jesus. Do you have a story like that? God redeems his people. God redeems those who he's called. And I believe he's called everyone. Some of us hear him a little bit louder than others. And sometimes circumstances allow us to see him in a brighter light. If Jesus can do that to passion, certainly he can do that to our shame as well. Certainly he can do that to our shame as well. Shame can be, can be scoured out of our lives. How? By setting our pride aside, removing the narrative of look what I've done and replace it with 
Look at the brokenness that I pursued and that I was trying to take. God redeemed me from this. I was chasing money, sex, and power, but then Jesus happened. He has renewed my passion to follow him. Now I have a peace. Now I have contentment. I am pursuing my wife and marriage because he restores, he heals, my God saves. Do you have a story like that? Pastor, that sounds a lot like when you preached on Genesis chapter 12. Well, guess what? It's the same points. I grabbed it from Genesis chapter 12 and preached it again because it preaches, doesn't it? It It's not our glory. It is not what we've done. Passion of sex, money, and power, they are all consuming sometimes. And God has the ability to redeem us from that. We get into a trap that we think that we can't get out of this. We are gone too far down the rabbit hole. And God says, no, I can redeem. I can restore. I can walk you out of this. Yes, you may have some consequences to face out of this, but I can restore those too, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a relationship. But you're going to have to go and ask, what can I go what can I do to make this right? See, that is true repentance. Not just saying, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you caught me, right? And you can say a sincere sorry and really mean it as in, will you forgive me? And saying, and that's a lot of tone of inflection, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to hurt you. That's when somebody's asking for repentance, okay? Then you need to follow it up with, What can I do to make it right? Right? Because between this relationship, the horizontal relationship, there is red on the ledger in a sense, right? There's a debt that needs to be paid, and I need to get it right. When we seek for forgiveness from the Lord, we don't have to worry about that red on the ledger, do we? Because Jesus has paid it all. But to restore our horizontal relationships, as I like to call them, uh, man-to-man relationships, restoration has to occur. God's refining fire burns at first, doesn't it? When he is breaking us down to build us up, it burns at first. It hurts sometimes, but in times it brings out the pure, refined you that he desires. He molds that material into men and women that he delights in. Are you willing to walk through God's refining fire to burn away the the sinful chaff to produce the gold underneath? It starts with surrender. It journeys in faith and it ends in glory with him. How do we start? We start in surrender. How do we journey? Journey in faith by being ready, right? And we end We're promised glory with him. Jesus is coming back sooner than ever. How will he find the servants of his household? We should stay ready so that we don't need to get ready. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you allow us a blessing to be in your presence. Lord, we thank you that when we surrender our sins to you, that you wipe them away, you remove them from us. 
Lord, the guilt and the feelings of guilt that Satan uses on us, Lord, you don't have a place for them in our life. We can rebuke that guilt feeling in Jesus' name if we have made it right with you and our neighbor. Lord, allow us to come before a holy God in communion with you uh, through forgiveness of our sins because of the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, we seek your forgiveness this morning. You are an amazing God who loves us and cares for us. Allow us this week to get into your word to find to know you more. Allow us to search for those that you have in our path that you want us to bring, come alongside uh, in disciple-making friendships. Thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our heart to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love others, who make disciples, who make more disciples into infinity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. I did get you done early.